Welcome to the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast, where we provide you with your weekly diagnosis of everything fantasy football. Whether it's season-long leagues, dynasty, DFS, or even IDP, we got you covered all season long. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get to it. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And of course, as always, I'm your host, John June, JR Football Nerd on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you give your boy a follow if you aren't already. Make sure you're following the show at FF Diagnostics if you aren't already. And um, yeah, welcome into the show. Got another great one planned for y'all today. Um, obviously, the NFL draft is coming and gone. You know, it's like this empty feeling that you get because we get so excited for it. And then it just goes like that. And then all of a sudden, you're, it's just nothing, right? We're just, we went from talking about prospects and landing spots. But now we can talk about the, um, how this reverberates across the league, right? Like what impact does this have on guys that are already currently on teams, right? So that is why I bought someone, I brought someone, I didn't actually by them, I brought them onto the show. Uh, Ian Harditz of the of Pro Football Focused Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, he's I've got an interview with him on the back half of this episode that runs about thirty to forty minutes. Um, so make sure you you stick around for that. Ian was obviously great. I mean, he's one of my favorite um, analysts in in the community because he's really funny. Um, but he's also really informative. He's got some of the best tweets out there. So make sure you stick around for that. You definitely don't want to miss that. We cover uh, the landing spots and basically the how it how the draft impacted the fantasy football landscape. Whether it's these rookies on their new teams or whether it was veterans that were impacted by rookies landing on their teams. So definitely don't want to miss that. As far as what we have today, uh, going to keep it short, obviously. Uh, don't want to keep it too long. Uh, so right now, uh, obviously, last time I was on here, we spoke about the um, you know the different positional rankings and how those may have shifted post draft. And again, that was an initial reaction. So uh, everything that I said at that moment in time, again, grain of salt. Uh, Today is I've had you know a week to think about the draft, a week to really look at these landing spots and so uh nothing changed too drastically just a little flip-flops here and there but you'll you'll hear it when we get to it so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna go over my um 2021 rookie rankings and that's gonna be the overall rankings regardless of position um we won't do super flex if you want the super flex ones just hit me up on uh twitter instagram um, text me if you have my number, whatever it is, just hit me up and I will, um, be sure to provide to you guys the, the rookie rankings. If you know the the super flex rookie rankings, but for now, if you want the 2021 rookie rankings, you're going to get that right here on this show in three, two, one, and starting with the we're going to go by tiers, right? So within each tier, I'm going to have a certain amount of players. And basically, the way I look at tiers is that I'm looking at all these players basically as equals, right? Like, I would love to have any one of these players within a given tier. Uh, obviously, I will have a preference within each tier, so I'll have them ranked. But um, the 
you know, this done this way. So, like, if you are picking at the top of the draft and you need a running back or a wide receiver, we'll just start with Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, right? Um, depending on what you need, right, you could be inclined to go to either one of those players because we have them in the same tier. At least I have them in the same tier, right? So you could be inclined to either, hey, I need a wide receiver. Um, I'm going to go with Jamar Chase. Or, hey, I need a running back. I'm going to go with... Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, whatever it is, right? So let's just get down to it. Let's break it down. So tier one, and I have it in this order, is Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, and Travis Etienne. Um, and obviously, we've talked about Najee Harris and his, what the impact, potential impact will be uh, in, in Pittsburgh, playing with the Steelers, 300 touches almost right away. That's the expectation there. Um, obviously, there's some risk involved right we've seen this before with like Clyde Edwards Alaire um and you know other running backs in the past that maybe they don't you know they don't get this this role right away but I don't see an opportunity for anybody else in Pittsburgh right it's not going to be Benny Snell it's not going to be Anthony McFarlane I think it's going to be Najee Harris right so Najee Harris he's he's the first player off the board in this tier for me um and then Jamar Chase would be second. When you look at the wide receiver uh, going to the Cincinnati Bengals, I think this is a great landing spot for him, ending up with his former uh, college quarterback in Joe Burrow. Um, obviously, the Bengals, they run a ton of three and four wide receiver sets. And so there's going to be opportunities right away for Jamar Chase to get on the field. And so Jamar Chase, Najee Harris, these guys, immediate impact guys for me. And so... That's why they are one and two in, in this tier one. And then Travis Etienne still in this tier for me, right? Um, first round draft capital, a ton of college production. Uh, he actually grades out the as uh, almost equal to Najee Harris in my prospect model, uh, my running back prospect model. So um, the talent is there. He's he's He got the capital that we wanted. And so Etienne... Um, while the landing spot is not ideal, James Robin, the presence of James Robinson kind of scares us a little bit. Uh, I'm still going to lean into ETN here. Um, still going to draft him where I see fit. Uh, so one quarterback leagues, that's the third player off the board in my opinion. So, um, or at least in the top three players off the board. So, uh, that's where I would have that there moving on to tier two. Uh, in tier two, it's another three players here: Kyle Pitts, Javante Williams, and Rashad Bateman. Um, and so Kyle Pitts, I have as the top player in this tier because to me, uh, he provides a positional advantage. Um, you know, he's, you know, obviously uh, we talked about uh, we had David Gutierrez on the tight end guru, the tight end whisperer. He talked about Kyle Pitts. He's actually just recently moved Kyle Pitts into his his number one slot in dynasty of, of all tight ends, which is a little bit crazy. But if you know David, he, he works really hard at this. So if he says something like that, I'm going to I'm not going to blindly follow it, but I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to take it take it into consideration. And when you look at what your one could look like uh, for for Kyle Pitts, I mean, I think tight end one is definitely in the range of outcomes, right? Not the tight end one, but. A, t a tight end one, right? A top 12 tight end. I think 
realistically, he's probably in that top eight, top six range in year one based on, you know, Atlanta's, the current situation in Atlanta where you have Arthur Smith who just came in, um, you know, obviously had experience with Johnny Smith, but Arthur Smith does not strike me as a, this is my system. This is how I run it. Arthur, Arthur Smith strikes me as a, these are the guys on my football team. This is what I'm going to do. Right. So Kyle Pitts, I think is going to step in right away. We know that my, uh, Matt Ryan has a penchant for targeting the quarterback or targeting the tight end position. We look at his days going back to Tony Gonzalez or even Austin Hooper to last year with Hayden Hurst a little bit as well. So I think Kyle Pitts is definitely stepping into a role where, um, you know, he's going to have, he's going to be a day one contributor right away at a position where it's hard to find talent. And so that's why I have him here at the top of this tier for me and uh, in tier four, because in tier two player four, because, you know, he's, He's the most talented player at this point in the draft that you would be getting, in my opinion. So, And the positional advantage that he provides. Uh, yeah, Kyle Pitts for me, number one player in this tier. Um, moving on to the fifth player I have in this tier. And that's, well, the second player I have in this tier, but fifth player overall. That is Javante Williams, right? Javante Williams, a running back out of Denver. Uh, now, I sounded a little pessimistic after the after the Broncos drafted him um I thought I sounded a little pessimistic going back and listening to it I was more saying that I wouldn't I wouldn't force a uh I wouldn't force a pick of Javante Williams right uh and that's what I was saying uh, but it's hard to overdraft him right I have him in tier two player five so the only way you'd be overdrafting him is if you draft him over Najee Harris or Jamar Chase or Travis Etienne or Kyle Pitts. Um, but what I also would say is that, hey, why, you know, if you're in a position where I need a running back and Javante Williams in your eyes is the last running back available, then, you know, don't go ahead and trade up all this, trade all this capital to go get him, right? Next year's class is supposed to be really good, especially the running back class. So don't trade capital next year to go up and get a guy like Javante Williams. And that was probably, that was, that's mostly where I'm coming from, right? But I think year one, Javante Williams, the outlook is nice when you consider the fact, um, well, year one is probably not as nice as what the future could potentially hold, right? Because year one, you look at a situation where he's going in with Melvin Gordon, there's going to be some kind of timeshare there. You don't know how long it's going to last, right? You know, it could be like Jonathan Taylor where, you know, something happens with Melvin Gordon or you know, God forbid there's an injury or, you know, Melvin Gordon just isn't the same player and they, they give him the job right away and he's rolling. Or it could be like Cam Akers where you don't see it until the back half of the year, right? And so, um, or it could be like Antonio Gibson where he's going to get all this first and second down work and they're just going to give Melvin Gordon the third down work, right? Like the range of outcomes is pretty, pretty wide with Javante Williams and just as long as you understand that when you draft him I think all should be okay uh, I have him slightly ahead of this next guy uh, mainly because um, the the value that a running back provides could provide in year one right a productive running back in year one could be like 
really, really good for you. And receiver position, it's a little bit harder to get that production in year one. Uh, and plus, this next guy didn't land in the most ideal landing spot, but still a tier two player for me, still a top six player for me. That's Rashad Bateman I'm talking about, obviously. Went the first round to the Baltimore Ravens. And when you look at Rashad Bateman, right, the issue with Bateman uh, and the production, right, that we're expecting in year one isn't much on to do with Bateman. And it doesn't have much to do with Lamar Jackson either. I know people, they want to poo-poo on Lamar Jackson, talking about he can't pass. Cut the film on, man. Lamar Jackson can pass, right? Go find me a weapon for him to throw the ball to deep down the field. That's not a, that's not Mark Andrews, right? Uh, so, again, when you look at the situation here with Rashad Bateman, I think Rashad Bateman and Lamar Jackson can make beautiful music together when you really think about it, right? Rashad Bateman, he's long, he's athletic, uh, he's a good separator, he's a great route runner. Um, and so even, even if, right, even if, if you want to question Lamar and his accuracy and his ability to, to deliver the football, Rashad Bateman is the perfect kind of receiver for him, right? Uh, I'm not saying that this is what you're going to get. I'm not saying, just hear, don't hear what I'm not saying. Just hear me out, right? Think about the type of receiver Rashad Bateman is. A crafty route runner, a good separator. Uh, he's he's good after the catch, right? He could be a target maven, similar to Stefan Diggs, right? And look at what Stefan Diggs was able to do for Josh Allen. Right. Everyone was like, oh, I'm fading Stefan Diggs because Josh Allen can't throw the football. And yours truly was one of those dumb people. Right. But look at what Stefan Diggs and, and Josh Allen were able to do together. So, again, not not saying, hey, go draft Rashad Bateman because this is what you're going to get in terms of production. I'm just saying, hey, look at the two types of players that you have and look at what they were able to do together. And then consider the fact that, now again, there's one caveat in all of this, and I talked about it last week. The pie is not large in Baltimore. That pie is not big, right? So the, the you know, uh, Buffalo actually threw the ball a decent amount last year. They didn't, they rarely ever ran the ball. And then when they did throw it, they threw it to Stefan Diggs. And so we need something similar like that here um, where, Honestly, Rashad Bateman, I don't see him being a 30% target share type player in year one. That's why I don't think the year one impact is going to be that great. Uh, I think maybe we see him closer to 18, 20% of the team targets. Uh, I think 20% would probably be on the high end too for, for a rookie, um, especially competing with Mark Andrews for targets. I think they're going to be almost similar targets that they're competing for. Um, so when you look at Rashad Bateman, I think we'll really see that step in year two, right? So um, that's why I have him here as my tier six player or my my number six player in tier two, um, you know, because he's a very talented player. He grades out really high in my prospect model as well. Um, number two receiver in the model behind Jamar Chase. He's my number two receiver overall here as well. Uh, so I think that getting this value here as the number six player off the board, uh, I think this is this is really too good to pass up. So moving on to tier three, right? Uh, and tier three is going to be all receivers. I got no running backs in tier three. So um, number seven, Jalen Waddle. He's the first player in this tier. Then I have Devontae Smith. 
then I have Rondell Moore, and then I have Elijah Moore. So starting off with Jalen Waddle. So with Waddle, again, I kind of spoke about it, right? This dude is super explosive. Um, not completely in love with the fit here with Tua, but uh, I think that the way Waddle, you know, forgot who I was talking to. Forgive me, man. But Devontae Parker, Wolf Fuller, Preston Williams. Oh, I know who it was to- I was talking to. It's talking to Ian. These guys are not, um, even Preston Williams, these guys are they chronically suffer from injuries, right? Like, I'm not we don't want to call them injury prone because obviously that's not really a thing. But Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Preston Williams have all throughout the last two years have dealt with some sort of injury and have missed times have missed time uh, with game or have missed game time with injuries, right? So you bring Jalen Waddle into the discussion. There's a possibility. Plus, Will Fuller has a suspension week two. There's a possibility here that we could be looking at um, at Jalen Waddle as a significant contributor down the stretch here or even early out the gate here for the Miami Dolphins. So I have him as a as the top player in this tier. Uh, he... Grades out slightly higher in my model than Devontae Smith. He actually not slightly. He grades out significantly higher than Devontae Smith. Um, but he also um, has this this really ridiculous draft capital, right? He was the sixth player in the draft, so that's something to beat that you have to take into account, right? It's not just the first. It's not just that they were a first round pick, right? It's the fact that Jalen Waddle was the sixth pick, right? Because Jalen Waddle was the sixth pick, Rashad Bateman was the 27th pick, right? So there's not the same amount of draft capital that was spent on these players, right? Um, granted, first round pick, but those picks are 21, 21 picks apart, right? So just something to consider there when you talk about Jalen Waddle. Moving on to player eight, second player in this tier, that is Devontae Smith. When you look at Devontae Smith, he is uh, he's obviously somebody that I enjoy watching as a football player. He obviously has those size concerns. The final weight that we got was 166 pounds. Again, I think Eric Crocker said this, and I'm going to start going with this man because it really is it really is a um, it's 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 a good point, man. Right? Like he says that, and if you don't know Eric Crocker. Uh, uh, the the uh, he's a scout. The he does the Croc report. Um, has a bunch of guys working, a bunch of great guys working with him. I know Damian Parsons works with him. Um, does a ton of great work. And so, when you look at Eric Crocker, what he said was he he doesn't he doesn't look at the measurables. He doesn't look at any of that stuff pre uh, before watching the film. He turns the film on. He says, okay, what is this player's limitations? He basically lets the film tell him the story. And when I put the film on, I couldn't tell you that Devontae Smith being 166 pounds was ever a problem. It was never a problem. At least the film that I was watching, again, I'm not watching every single route that he ever ran in the SEC. I'm just watching what I have available to me. And what I have available to me does not tell me that Devontae Smith struggles to get open or struggles against competition because of his size limitations. The only time it ever shows up is when he's blocking. 
right? And you're not going to want to ask him to block, right? And it's not because he won't want to do it, right? And I love that about him because he will he will block his tail off. He's just a little light in the butt, and that's it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, I, you know, you don't draft a receiver top 10 to – you don't draft a sleeper top. You don't. You don't draft a receiver top ten to to block. I'm sorry. That's not what you. That's not what we're doing here. So um, Devontae Smith in this tier for me. Tier tier three player eight. Um, yeah, that's where we're at. And then we get to the Moore brothers, man. And they're not actually brothers, but I will call them the Moore brothers for the sake of this discussion. Uh, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, obviously. Uh, Rondell Moore I have slightly higher. Uh, Rondo Moore is obviously somebody that you guys have heard me talk about often on this show, very often. Uh, I actually am, I do like the landing spot. I wish that we could have seen him go to a Shanahan disciple specifically, um, but I will take what we can get here with Rondo Moore. And, you know, when you look at the offense that he's going to, I think there's a lot of there's an opportunity when you look at Arizona, right? They ton of they run a ton of bubble screens. They run a it's like really college offense, and so I think Rondell Moore is actually in a nice spot for him. Uh, also, when you consider the fact that there are no right, the running back situation is not the best, right? Between uh, James Conner, Chase Edmonds, I'm more of a Chase Edmonds guy personally, um, but. Rondell Moore, there's an opportunity for him to get touches that way as well. If you play in a return yardage league, that's a boost for Rondell Moore as well there. Uh, So, uh, you know, Rondell Moore, despite being uh, a second-round draft pick, grades out slightly higher than some of these other guys um, that, you know, that we have going ahead of him, um, like like a Jalen Waddle, like a Devontae Smith. he does not grade out higher than Jamar Chase or Rashad Bateman, but um, when you consider the fact that this guy, you know, the athletic, the athletic uh, testing, the production as a freshman, yes, he had some injuries, but um, you know, like I said before, that doesn't make him injury prone, right? Like he's had different injuries to different areas of his body; those were kind of you know freak coincidences. And so when I look at Rondell Moore, people talk about, oh, he's only 5'7", but he's 180 pounds, right? He's 20, he's 15 pounds heavier than Devontae Smith, but he's six inches shorter. So, like, what are we talking about, right? So, again, this dude is, uh, he's going to be a ball player. He's going to make a playmaker, and I'm excited to see him in the NFL. So, uh, definitely going to definitely gonna uh, try to get Rondell Moore on my team uh, but I'm conflicted now because because Elijah Moore, who, um, again, it, it feels like in the fantasy community when you say you like when you say you prefer one player over the other, everybody automatically assumes that you hate the other player. I don't hate Elijah Moore, right? I actually really like Elijah Moore. I think Elijah Moore is a great player. Uh, I just would have preferred Rondell Moore. But that's the last I'm going to talk about it as it pertains to the New York Jets and as it pertains to dynasty teams. What am I doing? I'm taking I'm taking Rondell Moore over Elijah Moore. Uh, and that is because I truly believe in the player that Rondell Moore is, right? That he will succeed despite uh, the circumstances around him because that's how 
good of a player that he is, right? And he's got Kyler Murray for potentially the next five to ten years. Uh, so that's a plus. Um, so that's why I lean Rondell. But when we when we talk about Elijah Moore, I think the situation for him is really good as well. You know, he'll be used in, um, you know, similar to a Debo Samuel, similar to a Brandon Ayuk, how they were used in San Francisco. He can do some of those things. Uh, he's a savvy route runner as well. Again, I compare him to Tyler Lockett. I've seen some A-B comparisons out there, which I actually do like a little bit when you look at how he runs his routes, how he, um, you know, he's so nuanced with how his head movements and his 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 body movements just to move a defender. So I could see the A-B comparisons as well. Um, I think Elijah Moore, again, fourth player in this tier for me, 10th player overall. I think that you'd be getting a, like a, you're getting a really good player at the back half of the first round if you're selecting Elijah Moore. So, um, again, this is one quarterback leagues. That's why you haven't heard any quarterbacks yet. Uh, you probably won't hear any quarterbacks uh, just because um, we're only gonna do we're only gonna go to the top twelve, eh, maybe thirteen, but we'll get there anyway. So, in tier four, the the final tier that we're gonna release today. Um, player 11 here, this is, well, tier four, 11 is Michael Carter, 12 is Trey Sermon, 13 is Trevor Lawrence, right? So in tier four here, again, you'll notice that post-draft, pre-draft, I flipped it. I have Michael Carter ahead of Trey Sermon. Uh, I know that I had Trey Sermon, um, I know that I had Trey Sermon four, Michael Carter five, um, because Trey Sermon had the third round draft capital, Michael Carter had the fourth round draft capital. Um, Trey Sermon ended up with the Niners, Michael Carter ended up with the Jets. So, um, like at the time, it just seemed like okay, Trey Sermon should be ahead of Michael Carter for me. But even after right after I recorded that podcast and I put it out and I thought about it, and I'm like, Michael Carter's coming into a, a tremendous opportunity here. Where again, this was one of my favorite running backs in the class. I had him as my RB four before the draft, right behind his teammate Javante Williams. Um, when I looked at Michael Carter, I was like, "Yo, this is a guy." Again, not saying he is Alvin Kamara, but he could be used in similar ways to Alvin Kamara in the run game, in the pass game. Uh, he's he's got some. He packs a little punch too, especially down by the goal line. So this is not a one trick pony, a three down, a th- you know, a third down back. This guy could be a lead back in the in an NFL. When I say a lead back, I mean lead the back in terms of, um, you know, being in a backfield with another back, but but leading the backfield in touches, right? So you could have a two prong, similar to what he did in 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 UNC, where it was him and Javante Williams and. Both of those guys could lean heavily, kind of similar to what the Saints have done with Alvin Kamara. So maybe he maybe he forms this with a Lamichael Piran. Maybe he, although I don't think Lamichael Piran is very good, but maybe he forms with Lamichael Piran. Maybe he forms it with Ty Johnson, although they're similar types of players in my opinion. Or maybe he forms it with a Josh Adams or a Tevin Coleman, whatever, right? But I, Michael Carter is a guy that I'm going to want on my on my rosters because. You, again, you look at the opportunity for him in year one. He's going to be used in the pass game as well because he's capable of that. Um, was wide zone run scheme. The, the Jets fortified the offensive, the interior of the offensive line by getting Elijah Vera Tucker. So uh, they're going to run a scheme that fits th- this offensive line. That's going to fit these players as well that they have in the backfield. And so I'm going to be excited about 
um, Michael Carter's prospects in year one. Moving on to the player that I have, the second player I have in this tier, and that is Trey Sermon. Uh, and again, so Trey Sermon, my RB5 in this class, uh, when you look at Trey Sermon, the landing spot on paper uh, looks looks great just from a scheme perspective, a talent perspective, um, a team perspective, right? When you look at, you know, obviously we want running backs that are playing on winning football teams because they they're going to get those touches. That good game script is good for our running backs. And so Trey Sermon, one of those guys that, when you look at the situation, it's like, hey, that's a really good situation. But then you look at what's going, what he's going into with the Raheem Mostert, with the Jeff Wilson, um, with the Jamichael Hasty. They they added a running back in Elijah Mitchell. This just looks like a typical San Fran backfield. And I actually had tweeted this out uh, sometime after the draft. Like, good luck figuring out who's scoring touchdowns in this offense when you throw Trey Lance into the mix, right? So not saying I don't want Trey Sermon. I think, again, he's a talented player who suffered from um, his his production doesn't look great because he had some issues. He was dealing with the college and he transferred and whatnot, but he goes in the third round so that clearly uh, the Niners believe in him. So I think taking a shot on a player like that at the end of round one not going to do you much wrong because, um, you know, it could turn into that lottery pick for you. Um, then moving on to the last player I have in this tier, player 13. So you're going to get a bonus player from me because we're only going to do top 12s, but you're going to get a bonus from me. And that is Trevor Lawrence, right? So Trevor Lawrence, obviously we've talked about this guy. This He's the number one pick in the NFL draft. He's been labeled as such for the last... I don't know, what is it, three years now? This dude is the next coming of Andrew Luck and John Elway and all these guys, whatever, Peyton Manning, whatever you want to, whoever you want to talk about it, that's that's who gets brought up whenever you bring up Trevor Lawrence's name. And so um, me personally, again, highest graded quarterback in my prospect model, which grades quarterbacks going back to 2018. So... For me, he's a borderline round one player. If you're picking at the, the the if you're if you're like if you're picking at one twelve, right, and you need a quarterback, I would pull the trigger on Trevor Lawrence, right. Um, if you are picking at at two oh one, right, top half of the first, Trevor Lawrence is sitting there, take him, right. What I like I said before, I have a feeling in some one quarterback leagues, right, not all of them, but some of them, Trevor Lawrence will be a first round pick. Don't let it be you that does it. Right, unless picking at one twelve, shoot. What's the difference between one eleven and one twelve? One spot. So no harm in doing that either, really, right? But like if I'm asking myself Trey Sermon, Trevor Lawrence, Michael Carter, Trevor Lawrence, again, it's close, right? I have them all in the same tier. Um but anyway, that's all I have. Uh don't wanna I, I would I would divulge more, but don't want to go over on the time already went over a little bit more than I wanted to so I hope you guys enjoyed the rankings again you guys want to hit me up discuss them you want to know more um I'm willing to divulge it just not to my league mates because tomorrow by tomorrow I mean tomorrow tomorrow so like Monday is our tomorrow's league of extraordinary people 
Dynasty Draft. We have the League of Extraordinary People, but then we have tomorrow's League of Extraordinary People, which is our Dynasty League. Not all the same players, some of the same players. So I know those guys are probably going to be hawking me for my rankings, but they're not going to get them. They'll get them after draft day. Nah, I'm just messing around. Uh, everybody, you want to hit me up, get my rankings, just hit me up. I'll be I'll be happy to share. Um, but anyway, guys, really appreciate you all listening. Hey, make sure you take care of your mothers on Mother's Day. If you are a mother, happy Mother's Day to you, but also make sure you take care of your mothers as well. And um, everybody, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoy this interview that we have with Ian Harditz, which is about to happen in three, two, one. All right, so welcome into the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And our next guest is someone I admire a ton, probably one of the one of my favorite fantasy football analysts. He's funny, informative. You, you probably all know him with his work from Pro Football Focus. He's the host of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, also the president of the Cordero Patterson <laughs> Fan Club. Yes, I'm talking about Ian Harditz. Ian, thank you for coming on and welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, here we are recording May 3rd. I'm just freaking pumped that all these rookies finally have landing spots, man. I, You know, one thing I got to improve on is start grinding college football film the same way I do NFL because, you know, I've been a little behind the eight ball these past few months. But we finally got these landing spots, and it's officially fantasy football offseason. Yes, sir. You know, uh, draft season is like Christmas for us fantasy football fans or just football fans in general. Uh, whether you're hoping your franchise gets a new, you know, a jump start or your rookies land in, in, in a good, good situation. So we're going to talk about that, that part, you know, rookies landing in, in uh, different situations and their, and their respective landing spots. But before we get into that, Ian, I just have to ask you, how did you get to doing what you're doing now, um, doing the work with PFF, writing, uh, doing live streams, podcasts, all that? Yeah, man, I've always loved football, you know, trying to, I mean, I was devastated when I was like six years old and I found out there were 11 guys on the, each side instead of 10 because I was drawing plays and I realized they were all trash at that point. So I've had some ups and downs over the years, but uh, really, you know, just playing in the backyard every day after school and then got into middle school, high school, even played a D3 in college for a second. And man, I, you know, just that sport, all my friends, all my best memories, it all, it always just came from football. And I, of course, fell in love uh, with just watching it as well and the strategy behind it and reading every book I could find uh, about it. So, you know, for me, just a fan first of the game and I just love playing it. And once I uh, decided to stop playing, got, uh, got a couple of too many concussions, and I was never going to the NFL anyway, so it just made sense to uh, uh, retire after a while. But my sophomore year, I just kind of had this big hole in my life. I wasn't playing football, didn't have, uh, you know, all these constant practices and uh, workout hours uh, all kind of throughout the week. So I just really wanted to get into uh, trying to do it content-wise, man. And, uh, you know, my degree was in finance, never exactly got the journalistic background or anything, but I used to read every single sports article I could find pretty much. I mean, grantland.com, uh, you know, Bill Simmons, his original kind of articles were really what got me uh, to be a fan of sports running in general, the way he was able to, you know, not be so uptight about everything. We are talking about sports. We can have fun with it, ask uh, different questions and stuff. But eventually, man, and, you know, just reading – you know, of course, not stuff on Grantland. I, I still think that website's the GOAT, but I guess maybe other uh, websites out there. I don't want to throw anyone on the bus, but at some point I was like, you know what? I think I can do this thing as good as uh, these people out there. So offer my services out there to a ton of uh, writers and fantasy people and, you know, 
real football, fantasy football, whatever the hell I could find. I just emailed people and asked them if uh, I could research articles for them, and then they could write them because I thought that was the way I could uh, kind of get my foot in and help. Luckily, uh, Action or Fantasy Labs co-founder Jonathan Bales uh, took a chance on me, allowed me to help him out. And over the years, uh, we got tighter. He eventually gave me a spot at Fantasy Labs, worked uh, very hard there. Uh, kind of formed into Action Network. I ended up jumping over to the artists formerly known as Rotor World for about a year. You know, again, learned plenty there. And last July, ended up over at PFF. So it has been a grind. I'd say about eight years now where I've, you know, more or less been writing and, you know, at a minimum, like one article every week, more, more times than not closer to five, but uh, yeah, man, just not really turn it off. And, you know, I have not gotten bored of uh, football yet, so we will see how much longer we can keep it going. But, you know, I, I think I worked just long enough in the finance world. I was a consultant for a year out of college, like just long enough to kind of realize like, man, I do not want to do uh, this, man. It, there's, you know, the, the nine to five grind, you got to do it. You got to do what you need to do to survive. But, you know, you know, if you can just really try to ever have a chance to do, you know, what you really love to do. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm trying to run with it. So I, I don't have to go back to uh, living a quote unquote regular life. Yeah, no, that sounds like an incredible journey. And, you know, I definitely can relate in some some manner as being a former player. So that attraction to yeah. football, attraction to the game, you just can't. It's just this desire that you just can't let go of, you know. And so you have to find a way to be in it some way, somehow. And so. Uh, creating content is is definitely a good way to get into it. So, Ian, let's jump into the results of the 2021 draft and, and some of these rookie landing spots. And we'll do it by position. I just have to ask you, what are your overall thoughts on these these first round rookie picks? You know, as the class as a whole, real life fantasy football, maybe the the real life football, maybe the impact that they might have on their franchises, but also from a fantasy perspective real life it's great man i feel like you know last year we got herbert and burrow really come i mean at least we'll see how hurts and tua and some of these other guys uh end up working out but at a minimum you know it looks like the Bengals and chargers offenses are going to be in pretty good shape here you know for the foreseeable future and i feel like man jacksonville and chicago sam fran maybe even with the jets and patriots a little more skeptical on the uh latter two of that group but i think we're you know seeing three to potentially five really good quarterbacks again enter the league and as we've seen over the years i mean you know the best way to create a great nfl product is to have uh you know a great quarterback on each sideline so as much as you know the former linebacker in me gets pissed off and we see some of these ticky tack penalties called you know with the way to try and make the game safer i do realize that you know uh, some of those week 13 games between uh you know brian hoyer and chase daniel aren't exactly pulling in the ratings so that i get it they gotta do what they gotta do and with that said kind of going to fancy man we're just seeing less and less of the mac jones types really coming into the league and that's great for fantasy football because these dual threat quarterbacks are really the closest things we have to a cheat code and in this class man Trey Lance should be number one, I think, in dynasty leagues because if he has Kyle Shanahan's blessing, that's good enough for me in terms of his long-term, you know, future and ability as a passer. And just what he did, like at North Dakota State, like he's a fantastic athlete, and like we comped him in our PFF draft guide to like Taysom Hill with arm talent. But like Justin Fields is faster, and I think you know if I need to pick him or Lance to make someone miss an open field, I probably pick uh, Justin Fields. But with that said, man, we just want to have that mindset where you know Lance, if his first read in there just take off and run bro and that is kind of what we saw at north dakota state he ran for at least 40 yards and or a score in all but one of his uh 19 games over the past three seasons so i think lance is just going to be in that 
even if he's not quite as dynamic in that kind of Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts role where he's just going to be racking up like double-digit rush attempts every game, and we just need to take advantage of that in fantasy land. Fields is not quite there. He's uh, I think he's, uh, you know, some of the freaking – uh, prognosis is coming out about fields during this entire process were absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as someone, you know, Columbus, Ohio lifer, I've watched every single snap fields has taken. Like, the, like if anything, like he struck, like he holds on the ball too long. That's really his only issue, but he, yep. he does that because he's so damn good at getting away from pressure. A lot of times, like we see the Sean Watson and Russell Wilson do that. And I, I just hate when that is so heavily weighed against the quarterback because like put Mac Jones in those situations, what's he doing when pressure comes, he's falling down because he isn't athletic enough to get away from it so it's just almost an unfair criticism at times and some people really go out of the way with it but just in fantasy man like fields is going to run the ball a little bit more than lawrence i know lawrence can run and zach wilson can uh, to an extent too but uh for me again we need to worry about that rushing upside and the other side of the coin is just who's going to be starting first i refuse to live in a world where andy dalton keeps fields on the (laughs) bench for more than a couple weeks Come the hell on. This is not Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. Alex Smith was still a great QB, maybe not great, a a serviceable above-average QB in the Chiefs organization for years before they drafted Mahomes. They just signed Dalton. Like, come the hell on, people. Like, pace, Nagy, your jobs are on the line. Get Fields out there. And because I think even if Fields isn't going to be week one, I would be shocked if it's later than week four. So I'm going Fields as my QB one just for 2021. Lawrence as my QB two, I think, with the 17 games that he's going to start and as good as he is in his own right uh, he deserves that and trey lance three but man the second lance can get on the field he's going to be at qb1 in this group i'm just you know it's, it's rare to see a team as good as the 49ers with a quarterback as proven even though he's not amazing like jimmy g have a number three overall pick enter their organization so you know historically we've only had four of the top 10 uh drafted uh qbs in the first round since 2010 fail to start at least uh 10 games as a rookie so you know history tells us lance will be out there this is just a bit more unique of a kind of number three overall pick than we've seen in uh, recent history though yeah definitely agree with you there i, I think Fields is definitely going to be the the top guy when it, when it comes to these rookie quarterbacks, yeah. just because, you know, he's going to have this opportunity and he's got that rushing upside. Um, and then with Trey Lance, totally agree. I, I was reading your article. The moment Trey Lance gets an opportunity, you have to don't even second guess it. Cause it happens every time, whether it's Taysom Hill, whether it's even Joe Webb, we just, we second guess it. And it's like, this guy's going to run, just play him. Right. It's, it's yeah. fantasy. We don't, we don't care how it looks. Well, no, people so. can't always separate that. Like, you don't have to be a great real life player to be a great fantasy player. Josh Allen was balling out for the past three years in fantasy. It took until 2020 for that to happen. And, you know, real life, I understand that. But yeah, it's, you know, same, same way how, you know, you have these running backs that just if a running back catches 50 plus passes, whatever you think about him, you need to play him in fantasy land. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the running back position because that's exactly where we were going next. What did you make of these running back landing spots? We saw both Najee Harris and Travis Etienne make it to the second round. Javante Williams, a, a top 35 pick. He was the 35th pick in the draft. What did you make of these landing spots, and what could we expect in year one? It worked out pretty well. I mean, I think going into the draft, the three teams that 
were pretty easy to focus on Steelers, Falcons, and Jets. We also had the Cardinals and the 49ers kind of as contenders, but to me, those were really the top three and, you know, top five situations. So shout out uh, Mike Davis for surviving and uh, Miles Gaskin uh, as well. They were kind of on the verge over there, but I mean, Najee Harris, I think just needs to be your RB one with the Steelers and people. I understand the Steelers don't have a great, even a good, maybe not even an average offensive line. And it does not matter because Najee is entering a system that's probably going to give him upwards of 300 touches and you know the amount of people already just you know i tweet something about Najee harris or joe mixon and you know the amount of offensive line experts out there is just uh, astounding <laughs> to me because everyone seems to have it figured out like what do we think happened in pittsburgh last year like james connor averaged 4.3 yards per carry he did not look good doing it but it's not like they just literally couldn't ever run the ball all year and look Najee harris one of the things he's been allotted for is his catch radius is his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and for them to just be ready to give him that same workload that produced, you know, 25 touches per start for Le'Veon Bell, 23 for D'Angelo Williams, even 21 for James Conner in 2018. Like, it's going to be great. And, you know, just looking back at last year, like, okay, let's say we can predict exactly what the worst offensive lines are going to be in run blocking. It just doesn't really correlate, man. Like, the Chargers were dead last in the league in PFS run blocking grade last year. Austin Eckler was the PPR RB11. The Dolphins were 30th. Gaskin was the RB12. You know, the uh, Jaguars were like 27th. James Robinson was RB6. Do people think James Robinson was just, you know, overcoming just the most atrocious situation again and again because he's that much of a star? I'm not hating on James Robinson. He's a good football player, but it's just the volume. James Robinson became James Robinson because only Dalvin Cook and Derek freaking Henry had more touches than him before he got injured. So <laughs> that's what we're looking at with Najee Harris. So, yes, if it's two guys that are exactly equal in opportunity, Take the one with the better offensive line. Don't freaking have Najee Harris outside the top 20 backs behind guys in obvious committees just because of this, though. Outside of that, man, it does get closer. I mean, I think Javante – I have Javante ahead of ETN only because – um, you know, Denver, it's looking like it's going to be Melvin Gordon and Javante to some extent. Maybe Javante takes over. Maybe he doesn't. But that's at least two backs. And Jacksonville, you know, why does Urban Meyer want Carlos Hyde to be a thing in 2021? I don't know, <laughs> but apparently he does. And we could be looking at a th three-back committee just for a little bit. You know, we see it a lot with rookies. Even Jonathan Taylor last year, Miles Sanders uh, as a rookie. Plenty of guys start off in a committee and they break out as the season goes on. And that's when you want them in the fantasy playoffs anyway. So, you know, Javante ETN, they're going to be probably in that, you know, RB 20 to 24 range for me and read it Whereas ETN, I think is going to creep closer to that, you know, 12 to 15 range. And then finally, uh, number four, number five, I got Trey Sermon and Michael Carter. You know, they're both going to be in outside zone Shanahan offenses because the Jets new offensive coordinator, uh, Michael LaFleur was the 49ers pass game coordinator last season. And while the Jets depth chart is you know, feasibly easier to move up. They only have Ty Johnson and Michael Piron and whatever the hell is left of uh, Tevin Coleman. I mean, we just don't know if they're going to use a committee or if they're going to try to feature one of these guys. Similar thing with the 49ers. So with the uncertainty, I'm just taking Sermon because I think the 49ers, they have the real Shanahan and it's a better overall offense. So uh, give me Sermon four, Carter five, but, you know, just like Williams and Etienne, I think they're right next to each other. Beyond that, man, it's uh, pretty rough. I think Chuba Howard could still Sneakily be a decent late round pick because um, 
He's going to be uh, uh, McCaffrey's uh, new handcuff or Chuber Hubbard. Excuse me. I get these guys his names <laughs> down still brutal. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson's uh, kind of enticing. You know, he could be the Patriots new kind of vulture, but, you know, kind of guessing on what, if that's going to be a real thing or not is uh, usually wishful thinking. And then, you know, Chris Evans comes into Cincinnati and you could think, okay, maybe he could be the number two, but with the way their offensive coordinator is talking, man, about mixing, just not leaving the field. I think we are finally going to see that three down workload that we've been hoping to see mix and get over the years so you know people are already uh, hopping off the mix and bandwagon saying you know fool me one shame on you yada 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 people we had giovanni bernard here before he's gone it's a new situation let's react accordingly yeah definitely people like to uh to tilt when it comes to joe mixon it seems like they're they're very sensitive about joe mixon whether it's uh you're you're either on opposite ends of the spectrum but Anyway, so going back to these rookies, Najee Harris, totally agree. He's right outside RB1 territory for me at the RB14. Uh, definitely agree with you. You know, I don't care about the offensive line. Give me the volume. Give me the touches. Give me the receptions. Uh, that's really what, what really matters in fantasy football. And, you know, Javante Williams is going to be definitely a, a carry situation with Melvin Gordon. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, from a dynasty perspective, I think Javante Williams will, will actually end up being – someone that two years from now will be looking at probably for one of the top backs that you would want to own, that you would want to own in, in, uh, in dynasty leagues. But, uh, you know, uh, what about Kenneth Gainwell? What do you think about his situation ending up with Philadelphia? Yeah. They're uh, kind of talking about maybe using him as their new Naeem Hines. And it just really like, look, I don't think Gainwell is going to be at least one, if not two injuries away from having a really a viable role for himself. Something that we can feel comfortable about. If you want to take him, you know, uh, dynasty or best ball, that's fine. I'm just kind of looking at just 2021. To me, it just tells me, you know, Miles Sanders, this is not going to be the role we want him to have. And it's okay. Yeah. He's going to be like a, probably a lower end RB two. He's still going to lead the Eagles and touches, but it's already been enough of a battle trying to get this dude three down roll and it's weird man like he is spectacular in pass protection like legit has like you know at least a three or four block highlight reel of him just putting dudes in the dirt but last year i mean you know only zeke dropped more passes i think he was tied with zeke for most fumbles maybe zeke had one more like wrong year to be you know up atop the leaderboards with ezekiel elliott unfortunately <laughs> and uh yeah man jordan howard's back boston scott's back it just seems like a situation where we're gonna see three backs out there we were already seeing boston scott you know, take miles off the field and pass downs. I mean, just efficient efficiency wise, yards per out run, yards per target. Like Miles Sanders was one of the worst receiving backs in the league last year. From having watched him for two years, like I don't really think he's incapable as a receiver. I think once and there were larger issues in that offense last year. So I don't think that he's necessarily incapable of being the three down back. I just don't think that workload's coming for him. So, you know, yeah, game well. I mean, he's someone that I think we were all surprised to see fall the fifth round as it is. And no, that's that's not good for Miles to have the competition. Competition. I'm just doubtful that, you know, Gamewell in and of himself will have any sort of role uh, for 2021, but maybe in the future, man, because, you know, this would tell you that Miles Sanders, you know, I wouldn't say is a great candidate to get a second contract extension in Philly. So perhaps, uh, perhaps we'll see old Kenneth rise up the ranks here in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think Miles Sanders definitely lose some targets to Kenneth Gamewell. I think he's definitely going to uh, feel the effect of uh, rookie addition Devontae Smith at the wide receiver position. What do you think that, you know, what kind of impact could these rookie wide receivers have in 2021 after seeing the success of the class in 2020? 
I don't think this class is quite as good. I mean, I think it was uh, Hayden Wanks from Underdog Fantasy who first said, you know, it's like a Mickey Mouse class of receivers because, you know, <laughs> Kyle Pitts, like, he's huge, and you can call him a tight end or whatever. He's a number one pass game option. But, like, even Jamar Chase, man, if you just look at his percentiles for, like, height and weight, he comes in a little bit under 50%, I believe, uh, in the height department. So, I mean, I was doing an article on uh, before the draft on, like, who are the drafts? five tour receivers and just from taking height and weight man i cut out like everybody except like 10 or 11 dudes so um it did kind of get me on one guy i'm excited about he's my number six rookie this year is nico collins not the uh most spectacular landing spot in one sense with the texans uh reports coming out now that you know a lot of people believe deshaun watson has played his final snaps there so yeah that could certainly suck with that said the depth chart man like all those weird one-year signings they did, Dante Moncrief, Chris Conley, Alex Erickson, you know, trying to get every team's number four wide receiver, apparently. There's just not much competition there. And the starters, Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb, just aren't really guys we need to worry about. So I think Nico Collins is someone to look at down the way. But my top five right now are obviously Jamar Chase, number one. I just think walking into triple-digit targets, having the Burrow connection. I get it. Uh, I got Devonte Smith, number two. I'm more of a 1A, 1B here, which, you know, I've seemingly pisses people off, but whatever. I think Smith is going to have just way more targets and the Eagles after trading up for him, like clearly they aren't worried about his size. So we really shouldn't be either at this point. I mean, you know, the day Devonte looks small on the football field while he's playing the game of football is the day. I think we can start uh, truly worrying about that. Hopefully, you know, they use him in the slot and, you know, pre-snap motion and all that. But again, if you would have slid down to 20 to a different team, then maybe we're not feeling pumped. But when you put that sort of draft capital behind a guy, I'm feeling good about it. Jalen Waddle's number three. I, I almost want to move him up a little more. I was podcast. I was doing another podcast today talking about it. And as soon as I like kind of just said out loud, I was like, well, you know, He's got Devontae Parker and Will Fuller there. And I was like, yeah, those are two models of consistency in terms of staying on the field. Like, he could easily be their number one guy, even with a healthy Parker and Fuller. And, like, if one of them goes down, now all of a sudden he's seeing a legit uh, high-end workload as well. So, Waddle's someone that, you know, I think I will uh, try to prioritize in that wide receiver three range. And then rounding out top five, I got Elijah Moore from the Jets. I think they're going to cut Crowder at some point. They could save $10 million from doing so. Uh, we will see there. And then finally, Amon Ra uh, St. Brown to the Lions as my number five receiver. Literally nobody has more available targets from the Lions uh, last year. Jared Goff, I know we don't like him. I know you wouldn't want him to be your favorite team's quarterback, but it's not like he was incapable of putting up numbers for any of those teams other than the uh, Jeff Fisher one. So, you know, St. Brown, Brashad Perryman, these guys are already being priced like near their floors anyway. Uh, not a bad idea to take them just hope for those triple digit target roles because you know Hawkinson's gonna get his we know that I think somebody else could get theirs in Detroit in the passing game yeah definitely someone I think get some of those targets DeAndre Swift um you know I think he could be potentially a top top six back in in fantasy and in PPR leagues this year it's tough with Um, Swift man like I love the player, but we have a new offense. They signed Jamal Williams. They're going to be awful. It's it's just tough, man. I'm not down on him, but I have him ranked like RB, I think, 15 right now. I was I had a poll on my Twitter last night where I said like, okay, who do you want to draft between Swift, uh, Swift, Chase Edmonds, Claude Edwards-Alaire, and Najee Harris, and like Swift's the runaway winner, which I think, you know, that's it's fair. He deserves to be in that conversation, but I see people saying top eight, top six, which 
I see it. I, it's just kind of risky, man. I don't know if we should be, you know, too uh, heavily, you know, trying to invest in this Lions offense because where he's going, that's, you know, towards the ceiling. Yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely right with the Lions offense. And, and you know, they're obviously we, we try to target that positive game script with our running back yeah. position. I think a lot of it comes from, like I said earlier, the targets. Uh, but, you know, like you said, Amon Ross St. Brown coming in, those are targets available to him. TJ Hawkinson's present. I mean, I'm also kind of winking at Quintus Cephas a little bit. Oh, uh, you dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, also back to these rookies, you know, Jamar Chase, you know, I think obviously going to Cincinnati, that's going to be ideal when you look at how often they run three wide receiver sets. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith, that, that one's a tough one for me, right? Because I definitely see him getting bulk of the volume. It's just – how do we see a, a Baltimore situation? How big is that pie going to be with Jalen Hurts at quarterback? I feel okay with Hurts uh, feeding him. I mean, first of all, I love all these, you know, teammate pairings we had from this draft. Like it seems like every coach went out of their way to get their quarterback, one of their former guys. So, uh, you know, we got that going. But, you know, I guess it also applies to both guys. So with uh, Chase, I mean, and Smith getting that – it's tough. I think the Eagles target share last year looked so bad because guys were kind of hurt on and off and there was just always kind of a different one. Then we had the quarterback change. I think what we should feel good about with uh, Hurts is just the fact that he did go over 300 yards twice. And it wasn't the prettiest performance ever. No one's going to be confusing him with, you know, an elite passing quarterback anytime soon. But, you know, it took Josh Allen three years to get in that mark, at least in negative game script, which Philly should probably be having a lot of. We know Hurts can put up some uh, numbers in garbage time. So, you know, with Devontae, I just think with only really Rager and Goddard, assuming Zach Ertz eventually gets traded, uh, <laughs> there's just there's really not as much uh, just target competition for him there. And, you know, I, I think uh, – but, yeah, uh, again, I think it's 1A, 1B. I think Chase is better than Smith. I think Burrow is better than Hertz. So I'm willing to go Chase, even though I think Smith will have a little more volume. Yep. Um, okay, so what about – you know, some of these veterans, like who we talked about, obviously, uh, Miles Gaskin earlier. Um, but who else came out winners from this draft? And why is it Chris Herndon? <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been teasing it. I mean, look, Herndon, you know, all those 15th round picks I cost people last year hyping this dude up. <laughs> well, you can get him around 17 now, everybody. Uh, nah, look, Herndon is great. Okay, he's not great. That's probably a little, a little strong, but. Herndon, I do think, is fine at the end of these best ball drafts, man. Like, look, I'm not going to be prioritizing him, but he is a starting tight end on a team with a new exciting running back. And, hey, I don't know, the coach that made, whether it was George Kittle, whether it was – I understand Herndon is not George Kittle. Please don't pull that quote out of there. But, uh, you know, even Jordan Reed comes in a, a, for a few games, puts up numbers, and they even had uh, – his name escapes me. Their number three tight end has put up some decent numbers when Kittle has been out. Ross over the, Dwelly. Yeah, that's right, Ross Dwelly. So we could just see – Herndon actually have you know a five to six target per game workload it wasn't like he had some drops and a fumble here and there he didn't play great all of last year but the larger issue was that Gase just kept him in the block all the time we didn't have a ton of examples of him just getting you know bunches of targets and not making much happen with it so 
we'll see. I have a bad feeling that, you know, Zach Ertz makes his way over to the Jets. It's not, you know, <laughs> cemented. I would say Anthony Ferkser from the Titans. I'm taking him uh, before yeah. Herndon just with, you know, Tennessee only really adding uh, Des Fitzpatrick. I mean, Ferkser could easily be number two on that squad and targets. Adam Troutman with the Saints is another one that we should expect to really be out there, you know, in a pass first offense potentially with Jameis. And I mean, Jameis would really feed OJ Howard and Cam Brate. We just could never get him to centralize that to one guy, but uh, that, that could be Troutman. And also, man, Tyler Higby, like I wasn't on him last year because he was a tight end six, but now he's going like two or three times that down the board. Gerald Everett's gone. And, you know, now we got Stafford there. I think good things could happen there. So I think Higby really made out uh, at the tight end position as well. Uh, quickly, just some other running backs. Mike Davis, uh, in addition to Miles Gaskin, the big winner. I think one guy still going a little on the radar is Chris Carson. I mean, they declined the fifth-year option on Penny. They let Carlos Hyde walk back when free agency started. I mean, Carson was the RB5 in weeks one through five. He got hurt. He comes back. And then weeks 12 through 17, he's the RB12. Like, the Seahawks want to run the ball more than ever. They don't have a like Carson's their pass down running back as well. Like, I don't know what I'm missing here. Like, I understand he's not a model of health, but really what running back is uh, these days. So, you know, Carson's someone I keep getting in best ball, you know, in those fourth rounds because, yeah, I'll take him. I think he certainly has, a, you know, RB1. He's going to be ranked in the RB1 tier however long he's healthy. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to be playing, you know, injury just guesser with that. So give me all the Chris Carson. Really hope A.J. Brown does get 200 targets. It's looking like a possibility. <laughs> uh, some other wide receivers, Nelson Aguilar. I mean, he benefited a lot from potentially getting Mac Jones. And, you know, for them not to really add another wide receiver other than uh, Trey Nixon in round seven, we can see Aguilar get 100-plus targets this year. And, you know, I, I get the dropping babies meme is funny, but really he played some great ball last mm -hmm. year uh, with the Raiders. And I, I'd love to see that guy continue to, uh, you know, turn his career around. With the Jaguars, them not adding to the wide receiver room uh, other than Jalen Camp in round seven is great. LaVisca, Chanel and DJ Chark season. I'm going to try to squeeze those guys in my top 30 for sure. Uh, I talked about Detroit a little bit already. I guess the last point I would make here is in quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, people. I mean, he was the guy where, look, he was QB2 when he took over in 2019 from week 7 to 17. Last year, he was QB8 before he got, quote-unquote, benched for Tua, even though we know they were kind of – they weren't doing that because of what was happening on field, man. Whenever he's been out there, the dude has been absolutely balling. You know, Ron Rivera is not saying it's his job, but he's only going off against Taylor Heineke. Like the problem would have been if they drafted someone in the first first round. They did not do that. So I think Fitzpatrick, man, he's someone that is, you know, not going too cheap already, but he's in that later teen range. And I think, again, if you're looking ahead to week one, potentially, like where would I rank Ryan Fitzpatrick compared to these guys? He's going to be a lot closer to that top 12, I think, than it's uh, being reflected in the rankings. I mean, look at that offense. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown, which is one of my favorite uh, picks of the draft as well. They can put up some numbers in Washington this year, man. Yeah, that's a great point about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he's somebody that perennially, perennially gets squat. Can't say that word today. Gets slept on. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, I, I think he, you're right. He's in a great situation, surrounded with a ton of weapons uh, to be able to to uh, be productive. What are your thoughts about Antonio Gibson? I know you didn't touch on him, but People consider him a winner because I don't know why, but so apparently it was a thought that Washington would draft a running back. But do you see him getting that passing down work with the added receivers, Curtis Samuel, Diami Brown, and then the presence of J.D. McKissick? I actually did have Gibson uh, written down on a podcast not earlier, so I, I was part of the group that group that uh, recognized it. But I'm with you, man. I never got the idea that Washington would add a running back to this room. Why? Like Gibson – 
you know, for him to come in and take over Peyton Barber's early down job after one week, like if we would have known that going into last season, we this dude would have been like a top freaking 12 back because we thought the receiving work would all be there. But, you know, again, as you said, J.D. freaking McKissick had to just rear his, uh, you know, head at week in and week out. I think Gibson, man, he deserves to be going really, I think, as a true – RB1, they didn't add another back. I mean, even if he gets that same exact role he got last year, it's going to be, you know, the potential for 250-plus carries and 50-plus targets, and we're looking at a 300-touch guy right there. The fact that he is, like, in play to be a 400-touch guy just gives you that upside that you don't really see uh, elsewhere. So, you know, McKissick's just a guy. I don't really think uh, he's necessarily going to be used quite as frequently here in 2021. I think a lot of, like, him being out there was comfort with Alex Smith. Some of the stories, I mean, sounds like the coaching staff was just terrified. Like when Smith was out there as the rest of us were uh, watching it. So all those design screens, you know, just dump off after dump off to McKissick that infuriated all of us, Antonio Gibson investors. I just don't think we see that in quite the same manner. So no, I don't see Gibson, you know, becoming the DC CMC we're hoping for and getting a hundred plus targets, but I do think he's going to have enough rush attempts in a, you know, ascending offense and not a, complete waste of a uh, pass down role. So, yeah, man, I think, you know, if, if Gibson's not in your top 12, and uh, I'm looking at mine right now to see where I got him. I got him just outside, but he's right there on the borderline. And, you know, it's it's, it's an argument worth having with yourself uh, about getting him in the top 12. Yeah, I mean, I have him right out, right at 18, and I'm really yeah. struggling with it. I want to move him up. and But, you know, I think you're right. J.D. McKissick, you know, we, we have to just project these backs from one year to the next, right? We see it all the time. They don't want to overload a, a guy, the young guy. Maybe they don't want to give him all that pass down work because we forget that it's not just catching passes. Antonio Gibson was never really the, uh, a pass protector in yeah. college. He wasn't asked to do that. So there's that that element of it as well. So I think you're right. Maybe I've got to be a little bit more optimistic there with Gibson because <laughs> he, he is somebody that was really high on going in the last year. So let's talk about some losers. Who who lost in this NFL as a result of this NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, I think it's – you can kind of look around the league and put it together a little bit. I mean, Melvin Gordon to me was already shaping up as like the 2021 version of Leonard Fournette as just a guy like don't draft no matter what. I'm still waiting to hear if something's going to happen from that late-season DUI he had in uh, 2020, man. I just don't mm -hmm. really feel like he's in the best favor with the organization. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they feel similar uh, with adding Javante to the group. I mean, you know, pour one out for our guy, James Robinson. You know, mm -hmm. was trying – I would have heard myself patting myself on the back here. But I was trying to tell you people this a month ago. It's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much we like James Robinson. You know, we need to – no, that Urban Meyer likes James Robinson and, you know, new slash people he just drafted a freaking running back in round one. So he does not like him enough to, you know, really be worth even like a top 30 uh, running back slot, I think, this year. So unfortunate for uh, J-Rob, you know, maybe he goes somewhere else eventually. But, you know, looking like 2020 might very well have been just a flash in the pan. What a flash in the pan uh, it certainly was. I had Raheem Mostert everywhere in best ball before uh, the draft started. And, man, to see Sermon, not only the Sermon go there, but to see them get Trey Lance over Mac Jones is not ideal. I mean, as much as these dual threat quarterbacks 
can open up uh, the run game more. You know, read option, you got to keep the defensive end honest. It opens up lanes. That's why we see Dobbins average six yards per carry and mm-hmm. Gus Edwards go, go over five every year at Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, Michael Vick, Ty- Tyrod Taylor before them. Like, we've seen it years after years. The problem is we've also seen years after years that these, you know, not run first quarterback, but just more dual threat heavy guys, they scramble instead of dumping it down and getting those targets. You know, mm-hmm. Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, they feed their running backs 15 targets a game pretty much. And they also take away – some of the fantasy friendly rush attempts inside the 10 yard line, like how Josh Allen's a freaking top 10 touchdown scorer on the ground since entering the league. So unfortunately, I mean, the 49ers, we know a Shanahan's always going to have a great uh, run game and all that, but it's just going to be a little more spread out uh, than it was before the whole 49ers offense, man. I mean, adding Trey Lance there, like it's great for Trey Lance. It's just not really great for anyone else. It's kind of like if Taysom Hill gets the job with the saints, like we're going to be lining up to play Taysom Hill, but for everybody else involved in the offense, I think it's a downgrade compared to like what having Jameis there would be. Um, Anything else really, you know, it's just kind of like some, opportunity stuff with the wide receivers like obviously t higgins tyler boyd if they had gone tackle in round one instead of going chase those were guys that we could have really bumped up a lot i think the bank i mean burrow was number one in the league and dropbacks before getting hurt so there's gonna be enough volume to potentially enable three fancy relevant receivers not defense is bad enough to still have plenty of shootouts but you know if they hadn't added chase we'd be looking at maybe 130 140 targets for each of those guys which would have been pretty uh pretty damn great same kind of you know argument with the dolphins and parker and those guys and i guess the issue elsewhere man it's just like you know the jets the dolphins the eagles like i guess i'm just higher on joe burrow than these other quarterbacks and thinking that they can really enable multiple receivers so like we'll see what's going on i guess the jets are still somewhat appealing to me only because like you know they are so cheap and it's, you feel weird anytime you hype up one of these players. Cause you know, I get it. They're on the jets. We're not expecting them to be all that good this year, but you know, I say a lot of my podcasts, man, like, you know, hate, we, we don't hate players. We hate ADPs. And when every single one of these jets players is being priced, like near the bottom of their ADP, it's like, you know, you say you don't like Prashad Perryman. Okay. Well, do you, still not like him as like a free wide receiver, like in round 16 that you can stack with Zach Wilson and you get a couple rounds before, like it's just such a cheap stack to make. And I get it in redraft. Maybe these aren't guys you're lining up, but you know, right now my mind's just more in best ball mode. And, you know, we want to try to take home that big prize and think about some, you know, under the radar stacks as, you know, disgusting as the jets and lions are, they're going to put up some numbers. And again, it's just so easy to acquire these guys after you already get the bulk of your lineup in the uh, first 10 or 12 rounds anyway. Yeah, I mean you're def- you're speaking to a Jets fan right now. So <laughs> I I like to to always give this example. The Jets in free agency, they they would always have to to pay what's called the Jets tax, which is a premium to try to get a free agent over. Please come here. Yeah, in the fantasy community, it's the exact opposite. It's almost like a Jets discount. So I, I totally get what you're saying. You can get these guys super cheap, um, in in best ball leagues especially. Um, you know, so you mentioned the, the Bengals defense uh, when you were talking about Joe Burrow and how they, you know, they obviously can be fantasy friendly because they're not that. Is there a defense that maybe didn't take a step forward or um, maybe even took a step back? And so maybe we'll look at that offense as one to attack. I don't love what the Cardinals did really with their entire draft. I mean, look, their first round linebacker. Zayvon Collins, he's 6'5", 270 with coverage skills. Like He might very well be a beast. I understand Chandler Jones was hurt last year. Maybe their pass rush is just 
awesome enough to carry this back end. But my goodness, man, how can you go into a year with Robert Alford, Malcolm Butler, Byron Murphy, and then just a fourth and sixth rounder as your cornerbacks? I think they could just get torched on the outside, like similar to what we saw with the Seahawks and the Cowboys last year. Like, you know, PFF, you know, we've, we've done some big studies with coverage versus pass rush. And obviously, if you can have great coverage and great pass rush, that's ideal. But it's just really hard a pass rush can only get there so fast, man, and you can always get the ball out quicker. So, really, we've seen teams like the Patriots, like the Dolphins, begin to start, you know, spending more money at cornerback as opposed to, you know, building up the defensive line. So, you know, just with Cliff Kingsbury, I kind of agree with the idea that he's a fake sharp. I'm not so sure that I trust his coaching staff to put these pieces to good enough use to make it work. I mean, Rondale Moore, like, Great talent. I get it. I saw the dude run all over my Buckeyes and, you know, ruin that perfect season uh, back in 2018. Like, I get the player, but I remember all the hype for Andy Isabella coming too, and we've seen absolutely none of that, even though, like, pretty much every time they throw that dude the ball, good things happen. So we got A.J. Green there. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be taking all the freaking targets. Christian Kirk isn't dead. I mean, Chase Edmonds is going to be getting touches. It's just, like, really? We thought – this offense was like a Rondale Moore away from doing something. I'm just very confused with why they spent uh, their picks the way they did. Again, if the pass rush just ends up being so dominant that, you know, it makes life easier for these other guys, maybe that comes to fruition. And, you know, we look back at, you know, this, uh, we look back at what I was saying here on May 3rd and say, Ian, how, how do you trust the Cardinals? But I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced really Cliff Kingsbury and the guys they got are uh, the men to really make the most out of this situation. Yeah. I mean, definitely never want to, uh, wish somebody loses their job or, or wish for that to happen, but I'm waiting for the prop to come out for first coach to be fired. <laughs> I think it's, it's going to be Cliff Kingsbury. I do agree with you. He he, he is a fake sharp. Uh, I mean, he looks he looks like he he knows what he's doing, and he, his offense looks like it's going to be innovative, but they don't do anything innovative at all. It's almost all window dressing. And it's like, hey, Kyler Murray, make a play. Yeah. So one person I know I will be targeting is Kyler Murray uh, because he will have to carry them as he did last year. Ian, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really do appreciate it, man. Uh, why don't you tell all the listeners what you're working on, where they can find you? Obviously, we know you work at PFF, but if they aren't following you already, where, where can they do that? Yeah, for sure, man. Appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, find me on Twitter at iHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Yes, I have a very funky uh, last name there. Uh, host of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I have my top five rookie ranks for 2021 published today. Going through some more in-depth veteran winners or losers like we talked about on Wednesday. And I'll have my updated top 150 out Friday. Please feel free to check out the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast on Friday. I'm fingers crossed, knocking on wood, going to have T. Higgins, uh, the Bengals wide receiver, on. So excited to talk to him and, uh, you know, maybe get the lowdown on what we should expect from that offense uh, moving forward. So great time talking, man. And, uh, yeah, really respect your grind and uh, hope uh, everyone enjoyed the show. Yeah, man. Thanks, thanks again and thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll catch you next time. We are out of here. 